Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Life with Ed, the podcast. I'm Julia Wirth, your host, and I'm so excited you made it back here for the second full episode and our first with a guest. So hooray. Um, I can't believe it's February, February 11th, actually, and uh, so much has happened since I last talked to you. I went to California. I got to run in shorts, which is fun. I saw my brother, both two of them, two of the three, and now I'm back, back at work, and uh, ready for spring. Is that true? I like the snow a lot, and we didn't get any this winter, but um, still, my birthday's in the springtime, and I like flowers, so I'm ready for spring. Anyway, today I have my friend Tara Humphreys, who is a Divinity School student at Yale. She's originally from Maine, but was my first friend in New Haven. So I'm so excited for you to hear her story, to meet her. Um, let's go. So my name is Tara Humphreys. Um, I am a graduate student at Yale Divinity School. I grew up in Maine. And I went to college in Maine, and I stayed in Maine after college and worked um, in homeless youth homeless services, and now I'm going into the ministry. I, I like to tell people that Divinity School for me is preparing for work that's sort of like a mix between social justice, therapy, and religion. That's the best wow. way I can describe it. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, so you mentioned you grew up in Maine. And it's winter there a lot. Um, did you do anything during the winter time or play sports? I know you played sports in college. I did. So I um, I grew up in a very active family. My mom did triathlon, and my dad was a runner, um, and my mom also was a runner. And so we grew up doing like all the sports, all the activities. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. Like Running, hiking. Everything. Um, and we lived in a semi-rural area, so there was a lot of opportunities to play outside. Um, we were outside all the time. Um, and so I started running. I did like cross country for kids when I was little. They have that? They do. And they have like track for kids. And my mom was a personal trainer, actually. So, oh, wow. Um, I would go to her like track workouts that she would run for her adults and see how many laps I could run. Um, wow, you were way ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, so and yeah, I'm like eight years old. Um, and then in high school, I started racing and cross country skiing, and that became my primary sport. Um, I trained, I did sports, uh, school teams, and club um, ski racing. So raced from about eighth grade into college, and that was how I spent most all of my time outside of school. Wow. And so what's the culture like for club skiing or ski racing? That's a really good question. I compare it to folks who know sort of cross-country running culture. I compare it to cross-country. Um, it's, you know, it's an endurance sport. Um, it's a distance sport. And so... A lot of the same kids in high school would do cross-country in the fall and then cross-country skiing in the winter. Um, and I loved it. It's, it's, it's very intense. 
Um, and the high school teams, at least in Maine, were not so intense. They were mostly fun. Wait, so the high school actually has a skiing team? Yeah. So in in like northern New England, and I think it's the same with some western states and some midwestern states, like um, like in the Minneapolis area, and then most of Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire have high school teams, and they race against each other just like cross country running would. And then there's sort of this circuit of club cross-country ski racing, which is on the regional level. So I would travel around weekends that I was not doing high school races, and I would be traveling throughout New England racing against other people who were doing the club circuit as well. And so then those races qualify you to race on the national level. Oh, wow. Okay. Um so I sort of had like two paths going on at the same time where I was half kind of in the state of Maine doing high school stuff. And then the other half of me was kind of going all over the place um, doing extra. So how many hours a week do you think you were skiing? A lot. Um, I started training year round for skiing very early, like before I even started high school, which is oh, okay. I don't know if that how normal that is um so it took up my entire summer and my entire fall I didn't do a fall sport and then my entire winter I mean every day every day okay so Um, hours every day pretty much all right so that's a lot of exercise it is a lot of exercise (laughs) (laughs) that's like a lot of exercise so as you know I'm a dietitian and and we like recommend exercise to patients and normally when a patient comes in they're like um so I I walk and I'm like, okay, uh, yeah. H- how far do you walk? And they're like, oh, I walk the dog. Um, to the car. <laughs> <laughs> like to go to the bathroom outside. Yeah. Uh, so like 10 minutes. And the goal is really like 30 minutes, five times a week. And that's a tough goal for most people. But I think um, yeah. that sounds like nothing to you. It, it does. And I mean, I think part of it was – just that outdoor activities were how my family knew how to be together and right. what we knew to be fun. Um, like I remember going, getting dragged to running races like at age six and being I'm worried like, my kids are going to be like that. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and, and I remember being like, oh, I can't wait till daddy finishes so I can like go to the free food tent with him and have the half of the banana. <laughs> um, wow. I just, Such a bad right, <laughs> desire. Right. And I would do the kids race and um, get dragged to mom's triathlons and be like, oh, is it the swimming part now or the biking? We had all this stuff in the car. <laughs> so it's kind of just been. So you grew up around it. Been all. normal. Yes. Yeah. yeah all I the did. sports. Yes. Um, so Tara's on the show because, uh, you know, we met through an eating disorder website. I've never <laughs> <It> turned sour. <laughs> I've I've never had uh, like an online friends before that I just like met online. Never. Um, but I we're both in this group called Lane Nine. And I actually used to live in D.C. with uh, the co-founders of the Lane Nine project and met them last year. And then I moved up to New Haven, where Tara lives, and I just searched on the Facebook group, like, oh, maybe there's someone else in New Haven, and maybe I can find a running 
partner. Um, Lane 9 is a group of all female runners who have suffered from an eating disorder. So it's a real specific and also <laughs> niche group. <laughs> also That's really right. perfect for me. Um, so I found one. There's one singular person in the group from New Haven and I messaged her and um, we met up and got coffee and it was the weirdest thing ever because I was like I feel like I know her since and I feel like I'm going on a date yeah it was like (laughs) it was like tinder for eating disorder running girls um great so anyway so you have an eating disorder or had one um when did that start for you and you know how did how did you get to that point so it's it's interesting to think back because I can think of when you know it started becoming really an issue that was addressed. But then if I think back farther, I can see, I think it's common to see sort of, oh. Yeah, hindsight was, 2020. Yes, it's really 2020 hindsight. So I remember, um, I think my first real struggles with food and exercise were in high school. Um, I was training a lot for skiing and I had some really hard stuff going on at home. I had an alcoholic parent um, and I remember like just it was so distressing to be home with my mom because she was struggling so much that it was it was easiest for me to just put all my energy and time into athletics and just achieving things. Right. Um, so that that really helped me get through that time. But but actually thinking back and I sort of forgot this until recently I remember she used to um be sort of un like kind of unable to care for me because she was really struggling with her addiction and she would do things like get really drunk and then cook dinner at like 9 30 p.m and I was like uh no I'm not eating that right um so she would feed me dinner but my way of sort of withholding love was to reject that yeah like you can give it to me but I don't have to accept it yes and so I started using food um and her packing me lunches and me not eating them as a way to kind of manipulate that yeah get back because you're upset you're angry yeah very angry um so that was kind of a first glimpse into the eating disorder life um and then didn't look good (laughs) No, it's really not cute. Um, Then I actually, my senior year of high school, I went to a a sports academy specifically to um, ski race. And so I actually had a pretty healthy experience there. Had a wonderful first year at Bates College, cross-country ski racing. And then this, it was really the second year of college that things started to kind of go sour for me. I was having a a really good season um and I was just a couple of points away the whole season from making NCAAs and and what does that mean like points in the ski race yeah so the I point, don't know anything about it's skiing. sort of like every single weekend for for the winter season you travel to different you know different venues and race against the circuit of of colleges so for us it was the um it's EISA, so the Eastern Intercollegiate Ski Association. So it was okay. like 
UVM, Harvard, Middlebury, Bates, Colby, Bowdoin, all those. Really cold schools. Very cold. <laughs> Very <laughs> so cold So I schools. was in Connecticut, uh, yeah. and I thought that was cold, but. No. Yes, so we would race against each other um, Friday and Saturday every weekend. So Friday was um, a five-kilometer race individual start and then saturday was a 15 kilometer mass start wow that's far like on foot it's far let alone with like sticks on your feet yep and using your arms too yeah um so the point system is you know it's complicated but you basically score points per race and then your points are sort of added up throughout the season and then a certain amount of people end up going on to race nationally at the end of the year so you were doing really well I was having a great season it was my I was only a sophomore and I was really hoping to make NCAAs um and the end of the season came and I fell short by just a few points Mm -hmm. and it was really hard yeah uh it was really sad and that sort of triggered I'm not sure, but like the pieces, maybe you thought you could do better. Yeah, the pieces, the wheels started to fall off the wagon right around the end of that winter season. I think the stress and the pressure was enormous, um, even though we didn't always talk about that as a team. I think we often, and you know, college sports in general. I think often people will say like, "Oh, it's so fun," and like. You know, it doesn't matter how you do. Just try your best. But they don't actually mean that. Yeah, I mean, it mattered how I did in high school. Right, I like, right. I remember being told I couldn't go on a, um, like, exchange trip to Spain for two weeks. Yeah. Because if I left, uh, I threw shot put in high school. Uh, it was very, very sexy Amazing. sport. <laughs> um, anyway, I if I left, our team would not have done well. Yeah. And that mattered so much that I couldn't go you know, on an exchange trip. Uh, I love track, by the way, and no offense to my coaches, but yeah, Yeah. it it was a lot of pressure even then, so I can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, like, I counted how many hours of sleep I got every night. Like, it was just, if I thought I was getting sick, it was, like, the end of the world because there was this pressure to, like, be healthy all the time and be able to perform and... And how did food play into that? Well, um, you know... I think cross-country skiing culture is maybe not as surface-level bad as, like, running culture Mm -hmm. in terms of restrictive food. Right. Um, But, you know, I sort of think it's, like, sneakily there. You're wearing these, like, tight suits. You are wearing very tight suits. I would be so (laughs) self-conscious. I can't even imagine. Yeah, so you – yeah, you do. You race in a spandex suit. So, like, your body is out there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And strength is emphasized very much so. Which is awesome. We were in the weight room lifting weights. But still there is the pressure to be a certain way, um, to be lean and strong and fit and – uh, and healthy. Like, I think that we, you know, we eat really healthily. That is ultimately can be really hard for people. Yeah. Um, so I know that you ended up in inpatient eating disorder treatment. I did. <laughs> so <laughs> how did we get from just eating really healthy to there? Yeah. At that season of of not making NCAAs um, and lots of other stuff going on in life as well, sort of spiraled into 
eating disorder behaviors that at first I think I was a little bit oblivious to, like increasing my running mm. and uh, decreasing my food intake. And then it, you know, and then it just keeps spiraling, right? This is sort of how it often happens and yeah. um, turns into obsession with weight and just feeling like everything was falling apart. Um, and I just really stopped taking care of my body and I just didn't care. Yeah. I lost all concern for um, health and just did not care at all. And I sort of spiraled really fast and I had some really wonderful friends who I, who I hated at the time, um, who, who basically reached out to my family and were like, your kid needs help. Yeah. Um, that's such a great friend move. I've done it before. It feels horrible. I feel like a betrayer that I called, um, a friend's parent, but you have to. And ultimately it, it really helped. But at the time I, yeah, I had a lot of feelings. Um, <laughs> You're like, who do you think you are calling my mom? Yeah. yeah. And so it's interesting because it, it was the springtime and I was supposed to be living at home that spring. And I was like really excited about training for this um, 15K trail race. And I went home and instead of doing that, my dad basically said, we're taking care of this and it's not optional. Mm. So very quickly, I was in treatment. We were trying to do sort of the Maudsley family-based treatment method. Where what does that? What does it look like? Well, it's sort of when your family force feeds you, yeah, um, with the support of a dietitian and a therapist. Although we didn't have a family therapist, so I was, yeah, and and I was also that summer supposed to be going out to Montana where I was going to be training at altitude with some ski team friends for the summer and Mm. doing an internship. And so the deal was if I could gain X amount of pounds before I was supposed to leave, then I was allowed to go. Ah, so it's all on the weight again. It was all on the weight. Absolutely. And dad basically stepped up and he said, we're doing this together. Like you got to he put me on the scale every day and mm. I ate a lot, a lot of food <laughs> and didn't move around really at all. Wow. And was How just does home. How feel to go from, you know, skiing and exercising hours every day to, uh, and like not eating a lot, to eating so much and just being inside? Uh, disgusting. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was very angry and I think part of me knew that my ticket out of that situation was to gain all the weight to leave and then lose all of it again. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the Maudsley approach definitely has some drawbacks for that reason. Yes. So it's, And I think it's meant for like children. Yeah. yeah. I think um, by the time you can, you know, think a little bit more for <laughs> yes. yourself yeah. and cook your own food, it's yeah. probably not appropriate. Yeah. Um, it may work for some people, but clearly not not for you. No, it did not work. Yeah. So you are getting on that scale every day. Every day. Seeing the number. And what is that like? Uh, pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah, it was really awful. Um, and it, it turned me against a lot of foods that previously had been fine for me to eat. I all of a sudden... you saw that you gained weight with them. Yeah. And they were used as this tool to make my body larger. Right. And that can be... 
um, a detriment. I think sometimes like overeducation can be a huge problem. Yes. Uh, as a dietitian, I, I tell everyone <laughs> stop thinking about nutrition. Right. Because uh, the more you think about it, the more stressed out you get and um, the less you enjoy food and food should be fun. Um, yeah. When you're told like, oh, eat you know, whole fat yogurt and put right. mayonnaise on your sandwich and you know the goal is to gain weight. Yep. Yeah, you're not going to eat those. I'm still reclaiming ice cream years later. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, ice cream is delicious, so hopefully yeah. we I'm can re- I'm re- I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working really hard. So, um, so did you ever go into a facility inpatient? Yeah, so after the Maudsley debacle, um, I actually spent about four or four and a half months out west at the Eating Disorder Center of Montana. Um, I was in an intensive outpatient program there. Okay. And that was actually an amazing program. I made awesome. a lot of progress. Um, somehow ended up being in IOP yet losing weight the whole time. But I actually feel like I made a lot of emotional progress. Right. Um, and and. At that point, I was the goal was still to get myself healthy enough so I could go back to school and ski again. Right. It's all about skiing. It's all about Let's skiing. Let's keep it straight here. Right. It really was helpful. We did groups and nutrition and individual therapy and all sorts of uh, outings. We went out to eat together. It was pretty yeah. intense. Can you give us a little bit of insight into what IOP is like? Yeah. Um, so basically, I would go to the center um, – I think it was maybe 20, between 15 and 20 hours a week, I want to say. It's like a part-time job. Yeah, it was very much a job. Yeah. Um, And we would eat lunch together. We would have appointments. Um, eat lunch group. with other people who are suffering? Yeah, so both people with eating disorders and also like our dietitian would eat with mm. us. So I saw my dietitian five times a week. Okay. Um, once for an individual appointment and then four times for meals it's a lot it's a lot yeah and we would sit there and eat at a table together and try to distract ourselves Um, yeah what do you talk about with four other people who have an eating disorder and a dietitian who might also have an eating disorder (laughs) not to out us all but many dietitians went into nutrition because they suffered with some sort of eating problem yes and actually our dietitian at the time she was very open about her struggle Mm. with bulimia and she was incredible she is actually one of probably one of the best clinicians i've ever had um yeah it was a it really was a good program and they said we really recommend you don't go back to school. Yeah. And I said, okay, I'm going to go back to school. But I won't. Thanks for the advice. <laughs> Thanks for the advice. Not happening, but I won't ski. Okay. So that was a huge decision. That's I also was sort of told point. that I couldn't be on the team anyway. So <laughs> I made it a little Ooh. easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I surrendered to that. Um, and I did try going back to school and I ended up dropping out about six weeks into the semester and that's when I was um that's when I entered uh residential treatment in Boston okay uh I was at McLean Hospital okay. the Clarman Eating Center Eating Disorder Center and what's that like it's a a small a fairly small unit I think maybe there were like 20 beds um in a mental health facility mm-hmm uh, this particular unit is only for people with eating disorders. And at the time, I'm not sure if it's different now, but it was actually only for women ages 
17 to 27 maybe okay so it was really like a focused that's kind of nice demographic nice and scary which was interesting yeah um and it was highly structured highly monitored mostly locked Mm. um it was like a whole new world in there Um, what did you feel like when you were there well when my dad dropped me off I walked in, we walked in and there was this girl lying on the couch in the waiting room sobbing. And I looked at him and I'm like, yeah, a lot of tears, a lot of tears. And I'm like, I do not belong here. Uh, Fast forward, like three days. I was that girl on the couch. (laughs) It happens. (laughs) Sobbing, screaming at people. Um, The first dinner, I remember they, they kind of messed up because I was really slowly easing back into food. Right. They they don't like, you know, force feed you a ton right upon your arrival. Yeah. So they accidentally gave me two halves of an English muffin instead of one. And they accidentally put some butter on it. And I started weeping at yeah. the table. I literally started weeping. Yeah. And I was like, take it away. Yeah. Yep. So for those of you who who have never had an eating disorder, uh, it's important to know refeeding syndrome is yes. a huge problem. Um, and it it's actually happens, you know, for someone who is starving, uh, that's not self-induced as well. Right. Anyone who has been restricting food so much when they're suddenly eating again, um, the ions can get really out of whack in your, in your body and you can actually die. So similar to when you're in um, withdrawal from alcohol or any kind of drug, um, there's a chance that you can die. So eating disorders are the number one cause of death of mental illnesses. And it's it's really important that when you're eating again, the clinician is slow. So that, uh, you know, two halves of an English muffin may not sound uh, like a lot now. Right. When you probably have already eaten that much and it's only like... 2:54 p.m. Yeah. Um but that was a lot. It was. It yeah. was traumatic. It was very It was a very traumatic time actually there. They also don't tell you when you get to leave. Right. It really depends on your progress and um one of my favorite things to say about mm. my time there which I can really see with a little bit of humor now because it's been long enough but I actually brought my <laughs> running shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know, they're just gonna let you go for a little job. They, to- they told me there was a gym. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So I brought my running shoes and I brought my workout clothes, and I really like the amount of things I brought could fit in a small tote bag because I thought I would maybe be there for a week. Right. And um, let's just say every time dad came to visit, he, he brought another bag of stuff. <laughs> So uh, can we can we get a total count of how many bags you left with? <laughs> Quite a few. Okay. Yeah. So how long were you there in the end? I was there for two months. Two months. Yeah. And what was it like the day you left? You know, I actually can't even remember. Wow. Um, it was right around the holiday. I think it, maybe it was New Year's Eve or something. Oh, okay. So you were there for Christmas. I was. I, you know what? I actually, I was allowed to go home for two days. Okay. And then I had to go back. I was there for Thanksgiving, which was really awful. I and mean, Thanksgiving is also the hardest holiday of all. Yes. For someone with an eating disorder. So I think, yeah, part of that was good because I avoided the Thanksgiving. Yeah. And part of it was awful because I was literally locked inside. Right. 
um, which is really what it felt like to be there. We weren't really allowed to move around right. very much at all. In fact, if you didn't make your weight goals, which of course they set for you, um, they're not like personal goals. If you didn't, <laughs> those would be different. Yeah, if you didn't meet your weight gain goals for the day, you were put on chair rest, which means you were expected to be seated at all times, unless you were like going to the bathroom or walking to group. And if you still um, weren't meeting your goals, they would actually put you on wheelchair rest. Oh, so you wow. would be in a wheelchair. And and how does that feel? Does that feel almost like punishment? It absolutely did feel like punishment. I luckily never was put on wheelchair rest, but I was on chair rest often, especially because I'm kind of a wiggly person. And so yeah, it was sort of like a punishment for pacing and like shaking your foot or kind of bouncing in your chair. Yeah. I'm um, having trouble sitting still now. Um, yes. It's only been like 30 minutes. Yeah. 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 It was really hard. Did you have a turning point in your recovery? Do you think it doesn't need to be during that time? Sometimes definitely it's not even during after. that time. Yeah, definitely not during that time. Unfortunately, I got out and as it tends to go relapsed again, mm -hmm. um, multiple times after that. So I did two more sort of rounds of treatment in another intensive outpatient program in Maine um, mm -hmm. at Art of Awareness in Southern Maine. That was an amazing program for me. And I connected with a therapist there who um, worked with me, worked with me for probably the last two years or two and a half years. Okay. Um, so, so that was, so that was four, four sort of blocks of treatment. And really it was the last time right. that I was in the intensive outpatient where I actually chose to be there yeah. and I knew I needed help and I wanted to finish college. Um, so I'm so impressed you finished in four years for it for a little, a little more than four years, but yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, you were not there for a lot of it. No. I And the, the semester I dropped out, I actually was able to finish some of my coursework from home after. Okay. Um, so I was very lucky t to have support through that process. Okay. So the turning point is when, when you chose to recover. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what do you think made you choose to recover? Well, that's a really good question. Um I think I wanted my life back. Yeah. And I also, I know we've talked a little bit about, well, I'm in divinity school, which is sort of, it's like, okay, where does that fit in? Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, but but part of, I had become a lot more spiritual and I had joined a religious community where our number one value and principle was that everyone has inherent worth just as they are. Right. And so the more that I started to be in spaces that were sort of preaching that, it I think slowly it did start to sink its way in um, that yeah. perhaps I actually did have some value. Yeah, maybe you're worthwhile. Yeah, may just maybe. Yeah. I'm still toying with the possibility. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you said now you're in divinity school I at am. Yale. Uh, in New Haven. So yes. we're neighbors. And uh, FYI, Tara and I get to run together all the time. So I've heard some of these before. But why um, why did spirituality, you know, help you or how? So I was really an atheist most of my life, um, which is not, not not believing in God, but it's believing that there is no God. So pretty staunch belief there. Yeah. Um, 
But the story that I tell about how I found religious community is that that summer that I was living in Montana, um, on Sundays, typically in the cross-country skiing week of training, the Sunday is the long distance, like over distance workout where you go for hours and hours and you are with friends and you're having fun and you're hiking or running. Right. And so for me, Sunday had always been this very sacred time of connection and joy um, and community too and camaraderie. And so I wasn't allowed to exercise and all my friends were going off on these hikes every Sunday without Mm me. And so one day I was like, okay, screw it what do people do on Sundays? Okay. They go to church. Yeah. Okay. Got to find myself a church, but I was totally horrified at that and didn't want to tell anyone. So I started looking for churches, um, that weren't really about Jesus. Cause I'm like, well, I know I'm not Christian. And I ended up finding this church, uh, the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Bozeman. And they had a big rainbow flag and they seemed pretty like progressive. So I biked there and went to my first service and I and I and I had a ball. We actually sang a Jerry Garcia song, and I'm like, "Oh That's yeah, fantastic. these are my people." <laughs> and I was biking home, and I had this feeling like, and it felt really familiar. And I was trying to figure out what it was, and I realized it was the same exact feeling that I would have, like after one of those really amazing, long distance workouts, mm. um, just like feeling connected and filled up. Yeah. Um. So I knew I had found a spiritual home for myself in that moment. That's awesome. Yeah. So today, like, what's your go-to if you're having a tough time with with Ed or um, any kind of food or exercise-related struggle? Well, for me, my, my spirituality actually does play a really big role in my recovery now because right. I have this overwhelming sense that I'm not alone and that I actually – am a beloved child of the universe right? Uh, and a beloved child of God. And that is so comforting because some days when I'm just like, oh, honey, like <laughs> you are a mess. I just don't feel like I'm alone in that. And I know that I'm loved anyway. And I know that I'm saved from imperfection because I'm already imperfect. That's such a good feeling. It really is. And, and I'm in a community of people who are trying to live good lives and they're trying to work for justice in the world and shifting my gaze to that work is extremely healing because it shifts the gaze away from myself. Right. Um, You don't have to be like focused on what you look like or what you feel like. Because ultimately my role here is to be present to other people. Um, So I need to be present to myself only so much as it allows me to do that work. So if you were to pick one thing, like say today, you know, you look in the mirror, you try to get dressed and you're like, oh God, I can't do it today. Ed is back. Uh-huh. What do I do? What's your number one thing you turn to or think of or well, activity you do? I'm a, honestly, I'm a fan of the the QC, the quick cry. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had one myself this morning. Oh, I've had multiple today already. Yeah. I'm a crier. So I'll just have a quick cry. Um, I have a lot of really supportive people in my life. I'm getting a lot better at leaning on them and saying, just so you know, I'm feeling like a real mess today. Yeah. Um, 
And sometimes I actually legitimately put my hands on my heart and I'm like, oh, sweetheart, it's okay. You're, you are so screwed right now, but you're, you're going to be all right. And isn't, uh, Tara's also a yoga instructor. Isn't I like am. putting your hands on your heart supposed to be calming or something? It's extremely soothing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So maybe that's a good tip for all Something of us. about the nervous system. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't no. remember exactly. Biology was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you were to say one thing to a current athlete, um, who is starting to struggle with food or starting to go on extra runs or mm. exercise um, trips, what would you say? Oh, I would say I so feel for you and I so love you. Um, and that it's not worth it. Yeah, don't, don't do don't it. Don't do it, you know. And I also understand, I so deeply understand and have compassion for how hard it is not to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would say find the people who will be there for you no matter how ugly this might get. Right. And lean on them. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I try to tell people, you know, if you really love someone, yeah. uh, they probably love you back. Yep. So if you would help them out, they'll probably help you. So just ask. Yes. And actually, I remember saying to friends, and I still will say this sometimes, I think so often friends feel like they need to give tough love to Mm. people who are struggling. And through teary eyes, I remember saying to someone, I don't need more tough love. I just need love. Yeah. Just like a hug. Just love them. Just love them because they have enough tough love from themselves. Right. Um, Yeah. Just love them. Any last comments for us? Things that come up during your daily life or or whatever. Favorite food. Who cares? Favorite food. Definitely chips and salsa. Okay. Um, but I, w- I would say, you know, in terms of recovery, most of my... Most of my time in recovery, I was 155% convinced that it would never be possible for me. Right. And... I have found such a rich and full life outside of the eating disorder that I never imagined would be available to me. Yeah. Um, And I have grown and changed and found a new vocational calling that I never would have found. Right. And so it wasn't worth it. It was terrible. In many days it still is. But I would invite people to open themselves to the possibility that you know, there is, there is healing and there is balance and, um, and hope moving forward. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're not spending, you know, 98% of your time, uh, I think that's the statistic for how much time you spend thinking about food and, and specifically not eating food when you have an eating disorder, you got a lot more time. Yeah. Like go to a rally, go (laughs) to to a protest, cool stuff, read a book (laughs) or make a podcast. Yes. Okay. Thanks so much, Tara. Thank you. And to all you listeners out there, thank you. Thank you so much for sticking through our second full episode. I just learned that uh, you have eight weeks to get to the top of new and noteworthy on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. I'm not totally sure. Um, But either way, that's my goal. So please, please rate, review, like this podcast, share it with your friends. play it a couple more times, just send it to everyone you know. We want to get the word out there that um, we're trying to change things in 
the world. So less people have eating disorders and more people understand what it's like to have one. So again, uh, if you want to contact me, my email is worthyourwhilenutrition at gmail.com, worth, W-E-R-T-H. Um, please check out my website and blog, worthyourwhile.com. Like me on Facebook, uh, Julia Worth RD. Follow me on Instagram at jbworth. And please, please come back. This week, we're going to have something special. So it won't be two whole weeks this time. I uh, love you guys. Thank you. Bye.